Welcome back to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for taking the time with us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. Technical support is provided by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high quality mobility for all. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. Good morning. Alan, you've been on the DL list, as we've been calling it, after undergoing shoulder surgery. Uh, hope the recuperation's going well. Um, I'm hanging in there. I guess, uh, you know, it wasn't going to heal again. I tore it probably 30 years ago and went again and again and again and I guess I finally had to have all the tendons reattached, uh, but um, um, except for the discomfort, so you can't sleep, um, things are going pretty well. Except for not being able to sleep, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So if I'm cranky, um, <laughs> whatever. We're going to be taking an opportunity to share with our audience uh, an interview or two that we did at the fifth annual Smart Driving Car Summit in just a minute, but First, there are some headlines to cover. There's more progress to report uh, in the city of Perth Amboy. They've joined Trenton here in New Jersey and taking part in the MOVES effort to provide safe, affordable, autonomous mobility to people in the, in the community who don't have the mobility options most of us enjoy. So this is encouraging news, Alan. Yeah, very encouraging. I think uh, one of the real successes of the summit was uh, to at least um, engage uh, some other uh, folks here in New Jersey, and including the the mayor of um, of Perth Amboy, and um, it's it's really an interesting case. Uh, Perth Amboy, as the mayor likes to say, uh, has been first uh, first to sign the Declaration of Independence, and and it was signed in Perth Amboy, and they want to be first with this, so they want to go out and compete with Trenton to be first. So um, maybe we'll have a little competition. Uh, we'll see. But um, it's a very interesting uh, town. And in a sense, uh, again, uh, with uh, our approach to the deployment of these driverless vehicles in, in limited areas uh, to really provide mobility for those who, who really need it most uh, to begin all of this. You know, we can take people from uh, Princeton to Newark Airport. Well, maybe, but, you know, there, you know, how many different ways do we have to get to Newark Airport from Princeton? Um, but, uh, but this is to provide mobility to, um, to folks who, um, who basically the option is to walk. And, um, and so um, um, we're taking a look at uh, Perth Amboy. Well, I've got my fingers crossed. It's my hometown, uh, your so. hometown and Brian <laughs> Taylor's hometown and so on. So what the heck, you know, we might as well uh, do it right here in River Cities, right? <laughs> <laughs> NHTSA, meanwhile, has opened what it terms a special investigation into a crash that involved a cruise vehicle in San Francisco on, on June 3rd. There were some minor injuries in this. Uh, the report filed on June 3rd, uh, said the crash, according to Cruz, uh, was involved one of its vehicles entering a left-hand turn lane, and they signaled for a turn, initiated a left turn on the green light. At the same time, though, a 2016 Toyota Prius approached the intersection in the right turn lane from the opposite direction, traveling at about 40 miles an hour. 
in a 25 zone and there there was a, a crash yep there was a crash and um, um and uh, um yeah uh, they, they got t-boned they so um um seems to me pretty obvious that uh, the speeding toyota was a fault here i mean it was a protected left and they were speeding down the right hand lane approaching them and of course i guess the cruise vehicle stopped let them run the red light in front of them i guess it'll be very interesting to see the videos uh, because of course, um, you know, there's 360 video available there and I'm sure that the uh, cruise uh, saves it all. Um, and, um, and hopefully, uh, NHTSA will release it and cruise will release it. Um, look, uh, you know, there are crazies out there driving and, um, they're much worse than the, um, the AV stack that GM cruise has in there. And this will just, you know, show another case of that. NHTSA is also looking at two new fatal Tesla crashes, one in California and one in Florida here. And I know this is some of the circumstances here, I guess, are, are things that we've talked about before. Yeah, especially the one in Florida, I believe, in which um, uh, the vehicle um, uh, rear-ended a, a stopped uh, tractor trailer in its lane ahead. And um, again, the, you know, this... This issue with respect to um, what do you do in this AV stack uh, that is uh, that when you're approaching a, a stationary object in the lane ahead, and that means you're the lead vehicle, and um, can you pass underneath it or can't you? And uh, as one drives down the road as a lead vehicle, it's, it's easy when you're following somebody because, uh, you know, they would have crashed into the rear end. So you would have seen all that, saw it decelerating and, of course, applied the brakes. Uh, but when you're the lead vehicle and there's an object that's stationary in the lane ahead, you have to decide, uh, can I pass underneath it or can't I? Uh, why do you need to decide that is because as you as one leads uh, going down a road one often uh, encounters stationary objects in the lane ahead uh, there are signs overhead there are traffic lights overhead there are wires overhead there are overpasses overhead there are trees overhead branches limbs all sorts of things overhead that we all naturally pass under when we're leading. Um, question is, is um, in this um, AV code, this deep learning, blah, 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 um, what does it do? And, um, and um, does it just assume that uh, if it's a stationary vehicle in the lane ahead, um, I'll be able to pass under it? Uh, or what does it really do in there, you know, with a gazillion coefficients? And, uh, you know, I, I keep thinking that I, I don't know that nobody's decided to write to me and tell me that I'm just full of it. Um, maybe nobody's listening to me, so that that's probably the case. Uh, or that the code really does reliably tell that it can pass under. But apparently with this tractor trailer, it didn't reliably tell it now of course the it's not it's not perfectly known whether or not 
autopilot was on. Uh, but, you know, a question one might have asked Tesla is that autopilot ever turned off? Autopilot, my, I would hope autopilot is sitting there running all the time. Uh, it just may not have been elevated to um, basically um, 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 control the vehicle. That, um, that um, if it was on, but just not controlling the vehicle, what would have it done? Is a question to ask in this situation. Would it have stopped? And then this this gets you know this the situation with respect to objects ahead when you're leading. It's in some sense really easy to follow another object down a lane. And and what makes it it really is easy. But how do you know you're following an object? You know that the object that you sense ahead has a that you're your, the speed at which or the velocity at which you're, you're approaching this vehicle is either zero or small, zero if you're just following it at the same speed, small if you're gaining on it a little bit, might even be negative because it's actually uh, going faster than you, accelerating away from you. Those kinds of, and it's very easy to determine what your relative velocity is to objects ahead. It's done essentially with every object that is sent in these things. The whole 360 view, the whole objective of the, of the driver's stack is to identify objects, put a position vector. Where are they relative to my nose? I mean, that's the real important thing relative to my nose. What's their velocity, their velocity relative to my velocity? Because I know my velocity, I mean, I, I, we're assuming that's known essentially perfectly. And then computing the differences. So for those things that are within the lane lines ahead of you, it's kind of easy to follow them. Why? Because because of that relationship between it's the velocity vector that's been put on them relative to the velocity vector that you have. Now, if I'm driving on a two-lane road, you or if you're driving on a two-lane road and it's curving around to the right and there's oncoming traffic in the opposite direction, can you imagine what these things see? They see Fred coming the other way, actually, because the road is turning to the right, at some point, dead ahead of me. With now, the difference in his velocity vector to my velocity vector being, oh my goodness, it's even greater than my velocity. It's not a stationary object, it's coming at me. What do I do? Oh well, let me make sure. Where's the where are the lane lines? Where am I? Where where am I doing? What am I? Where am I going to be? Where's he going to be? Whatever. He's he better stay in his lane. You have to go through all this stuff. And since that happens so often, you know, you have to wonder about these algorithms. Do they ever? garble it up a little bit because there's uncertainty associated in each one of these 
values that you associate with the position, the velocity, the acceleration, the jerk, da da d, the locational lane lines, and so on. Because you don't know them perfectly, because you're sort of bouncing around a little bit, da da do, da da da. So you can't have you can't have it. this thing happens so often with respect to vehicles in the lane approaching you and turns to the right that you can't have the system say oh my goodness because of the, 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 that thing's coming at me and start applying the brakes. So what do I think they do with every vehicle that that is approaching? I bet they disregard it probably just the same thing they do with stationary vehicles because they assume they can pass underneath it. Why? Because it's so rare that you're just coming along as a leader and all of a sudden you come upon something that's dead stopped ahead that hasn't been moving before that you haven't been tracking that you haven't identified as a vehicle that you to be aware of and so on. Just the thing it's like coming up a up onto a um, an overhead sign as you're you know coming down the road long distance that overhead sign looks like it's flat dead ahead of me i won't be able to pass underneath it and depending on 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 the the, the situation and the, and the ups and downs in the road huh, even when you're close to it but the road's going to dip underneath it. So, you know, the, the, these are these are very, very difficult situations. And I hope everybody's code does it well. It's not easy to get it right all the time. And essentially, and, and unless you get it right in, all the time, the meantime, you're going to hit the brakes. Right. Obviously, there is no technology out there today that's going to enable a driver to say, I don't need to be paying attention to the road, at least that's available to consumers. It's available to consumers. Apparently, apparently GM Cruise and, and Waymo do have that in theirs for the speeds that they're operating in and the places that they're operating. And they feel comfortable that they can do that. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they have it. But whether or not that also exists in everybody else's where where you know uh, every tap of the brakes by by uh, by a system when it's supposed to be doing it the, the driver goes what are you doing same thing elizabeth does to me when i'm driving down the road and i inadvertently hit hit the brakes why'd you hit the brakes there I, it's usually not that it's because i hit the gas instead of the brakes but i think everybody gets it this is not easy again because of the because the um, the uncertainty and and associated with each one of these um, observations that's made uh, what thirty times a second, and so you know they've got to get it they've got to get it right, especially with respect to these these the stationary objects. Maybe we are just when we're using these things going to have to withstand just a, a few little taps of the brakes until the system can kind of get it um, get its head straight I, I know often when I drive I you know I misread signs I I you know get confused 
And so I slow down. So let it get confused and slow down as opposed to saying, hey, no, heck with it. It couldn't possibly be. Boom. I don't know. Our friend uh, Russ Mitchell, Alan, uh, had an interesting piece in the L.A. Times. Uh, The headline, we are killing people. How technology has made your car a candy store of distraction. And they're talking about uh, cognitive overload here. And I I think it's pretty obvious what's going on in, in many vehicles. Um, yeah, and it's hard for us to um, hard for us to, to be able to absorb it, and probably, oh, you know, someone, maybe someone should go out and, and look at all this. It might be a heck of a lot worse if the systems that we have, in the, if we, if we didn't have autopilots and we didn't have Distronic Plus and we didn't have uh, um, uh, uh, Super Cruise and so on, and those kinds of things in the vehicles that have them. They may well be saving our bots. I don't know if we went out and did a poll and people sat back and thought about it in terms of the, you know, the number of times their cars saved their butts. I know my car saved my butt a couple of times. And so, you know, um, um, but to have all these distractions in there, I mean, you know, I know, Fred, you just got a Tesla and you now have a big screen in your car. I don't know how you how you can put up with big screen in the car. Well, the only and thing you you're looking at, the only you thing you're really looking you can... at for the most part is the is the speed. I think the way you would be looking uh, normally at a car. But you do have to look off slightly to the right. It is yeah, in the top left yeah, hand yeah. corner. So it's not that. Yeah, well, the speedometer was always, right. you know, down a little bit and so on. Right. I mean, to me, that, that's a great value of cruise of, of intelligent cruise control i can set my speed and i don't have to sit there and look at it as if i would have to be, do in a 55 chevy always look down at the at the speedometer to see how fast i'm going to make sure the make sure i'm not speeding or that the cops don't get me or whatever whatever other reason one one uses to look at the speedometer you probably you probably should never have to look at. That's why I never liked. I I've never liked the heads up displays, because you know w- w- what's your eye focusing on? What's on the windshield or what's on the road ahead? Okay, you do only focus on one at a time, and you, I guess it's easy to go back and forth and so on. But um, but in a sense, you know why should be why should you be concerned about speed that's sort of a decision that's a decision that's made every once in a while how fast do i want to go relative to the speed limit and relative to the traffic around me not something i should be to do and and, it's me sit there and control it make sure it just stays whatever at whatever speed (laughs) as i'm going up and down hills through pennsylvania da 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 I mean, cut it out. So these are, to me, I think, really great uh, aspects of, of, you know, driving, uh, you know, that's been put into a car and it probably saved us. But now to have the, have all the screens would, I mean, sit there and, and read your email and read your texts and do all that stuff to boom. I mean, I don't know. Certainly not when you when you, when you're driving or, or moving. Certainly, we shouldn't be doing that. It shouldn't, yep. it shouldn't. I know. I know. We do. Why does? Why doesn't it just read it to me? 
Well, I believe that can like, be done. I, I'm even, sure it can that, be done. Why, that, I think there have been I mean, studies about that showing that's a distraction too, but that's... Well, you know. yeah, it's a distraction. It's distracting my ears. And I do use my ears when I drive, but distracting my eyes, that's, that's not good. You know, there are a couple of other... Uh, Elon Musk headlines we want to touch on too. Yep. Uh, a few really. Uh, he says first he says he's ending his bid to acquire Twitter. Now the legal battle begins over that, I'm sure. Tesla yeah. is expanding its uh, U.S. supercharger network to other EVs. An announcement coming out of the White House on that. And his boring company has opened up uh, the first passenger station in the Vegas Loop. Yeah, you know. I guess uh, I think that's all good news. Well, it's it's I don't I don't think it's good. Well, you know, everybody knows I'm I'm an Elon fan and I am an Elon fan and I think I think the whole social media business needs to be cleaned up. I, I was I don't know who's going to clean it up, but um, you know, pick somebody. Um, you know, if you're going if I was going to pick somebody, probably be somewhere near the top of the list. Um, and I guess he's not going to do that. Probably, <laughs> probably he just looked at his, at his pocketbook and said, this is like crazy. I mean, why do I want to be in this? Got all these other good things that I'm doing, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with SpaceX and so on. I mean, SpaceX I don't know, landed its hundredth booster a couple of days ago. I think it's launching one, another one. I mean, you know, total successes starlink i mean <laughs> well they just got permission to be putting that on uh all yeah kinds i mean of, starlink uh, moving kind of, vehicles and aircraft and i mean and it's just it's like whoa they they, they announced mean, they're selling a version of it for for yachts alan at five thousand dollars a month so. uh, <laughs> yeah well it's probably well good i mean Look, uh, that whole business of Starlink is is he, he developed a rocket that you can reuse. Now you have to use it. And there were no customers or very few customers. So he decided to create a customer and he created Starlink. Now, whether or not, you know, that customer is going to end up really being able to pay for all the launches and so on and all the things. And But, you know, in the meantime, it's kind of a... Hey, might as well use these things. They're there. I built them. <laughs> Whatever, they're available. And now, what's he going to do when Starship? Once, if he catches that Starship, I mean, I don't know. I'm just going to go nuts. Those chopsticks actually catch that sucker, and and, and when it comes back, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I give up. You know, I, oh, Elon, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> it's like it, it, it's not Elon. It's 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 this. It's the corporate structures that he's built around these companies that are accomplishing these things and these are non-trivial accomplishments so that's why i'm a fan but i guess you know whatever we'll be back but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor the smart etfs smart transportation and technology etf symbol moto to get more info head to motoetf.com on the website, we should point out it's a good idea to read the white paper. It's called The Smart Transportation Revolution. You'll find it under the Insights and News tab. Lots of great information there that can help you make informed decisions about investing. ETFs, you probably know, can be a good way to spread risk with investments, maybe focus on a particular category of stocks. 
That website again is motoetf.com. We are back with more of Smart Driving Cars. Alan, the fifth annual Princeton Smart Driving Cars Summit in June had great participation, and we had a chance to speak with some of the people who made it so successful. For instance, Anil Lewis, Executive Director of Blindness Initiatives at the National Federation of the Blind. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking time with us, Anil. Tell us what your thoughts are. You've been listening to all that's been going on here and all of the talk about mobility initiatives, the push here in Trenton, elsewhere around the country, really around the world. You have a different perspective on, on the meaning of all this. Give us, tell us what your thoughts are. Well, my, my thoughts are purely selfish, but it's also based on the lived experience of the thousands of members of the National Federation of the Blind. Uh, I'm here kind of in their proxy. Uh, making sure that the voices of blind people are heard as we really engage around this life-changing um, development of innovative technology. Uh, I really appreciate Professor Kornhauser and his commitment to continue to bring all the various stakeholders to play because what we found in the past is our voices are not heard because we haven't been invited to the table. But just having been invited here, uh, for, this is my second summit as a matter of fact, uh, really helps us continue to make sure that the not only just the concerns that we have around the technology it develops, but even more so for all the other stakeholders, the benefit that we can bring through our lived experience, through our strategies, through our knowledge and our innovation, and it, it will turn into the best solution. So overall, to your question, I apologize, the biggest thing we're trying to deal with is the fact that many people with disabilities, transportation permits such a significant barrier to living, working, and playing in our communities, but smart cars creates an opportunity to eliminate those barriers. And with that, I mean, the sky's the limit. There are two separate, I guess, technologies that we want to talk about. One is this mobility as a service and planning for it and talking to people who have needs in the planning stage before these things get built. So what do you tell companies or, or, or the uh, vehicle makers when they're putting these things together? What should they be keeping in mind? Well, we tell them first and foremost, don't make the assumption that they can figure out what we need uh, simply by closing their eyes or sitting in a chair you know, to kind of emulate what a person in a wheelchair would be like. You have to get the people who have that lived experience in place because you're going to be prone to making a significant mistake of trying to create something that doesn't need to be created and missing the win of developing something innovative and life-changing. So one, we try to make sure they understand that they can't do it without our participation. And then the other big piece that we try to communicate to them is by making sure that you meet our needs you're not just making it possible for people with disabilities to take advantage of the technology, you're creating the best piece of technology for everyone. You're creating a multimodal experience for anybody to engage. So a vehicle that I can use is someone, it's a vehicle that a sighted person can use. But the voice features that I would use to access it enhance the experience for that sighted person. A vehicle that a person who uses a wheelchair accesses, a person who doesn't need a wheelchair could still use that vehicle. But if perchance they have a life situation that requires them to use a wheelchair, voila, there's no life disruption. The same vehicle they've been using is the same vehicle they can continue to use. So it's a win-win all around. So are you talking about things like like a, a Siri or an Alexa mm -hmm. as being part of the interface in, in these vehicles? Yeah. I mean, years ago, people would have thought that Siri and Alexa were just specifically for a disability, you know, voice control things. Now, everybody's using it because it's a simple, multimodal interface that allows you to do something hands-free. 
Uh, so again, we, we add value to this uh, whole process that people I think sometimes miss. And beyond that, are there other features beyond a, a voice control that, that you would like to have in these vehicles? Sure, we're looking at making sure that there's some tactile uh, ability to tactically discern different controls in the car. And again, that's helpful for sighted people as well. I don't know uh, if you remember, but there was a while that all of the consoles in the cars were turning into touch screen, which require you to look at the screen to know what you're touching. Uh, they, they started eliminating those because people, not even knowing it, were using the knobs on their radios and air conditioning to non-visually adjust the controls in their car while they could still focus on the windshield. So the non-visual pieces that we use, the tactile discernible pieces to control the vehicle that we use, are going to, again, enhance the driving experience for people who are sighted. Well, drivers are still looking at screens, but they shouldn't. Yeah, when, when, <laughs> yeah when the smartphones, that's true, yeah. yeah. So, Another but issue. But now you can talk to them too, so there you go. <laughs> if we talk about autonomous vehicle technology in a more general sense, not mobility as a service, I imagine that stirs something in your imagination that yeah. you could get in a car and go. Yeah, yeah. Tell I mean, me I, about that. I, I was blind uh, at age 25 uh, due to retinitis pigmentosa. So prior to me losing my sight, I was the proud owner of a nice soft top Ford Mustang convertible. And uh, I have to admit, it did make up part of my identity. It was the dream car I've always wanted since I was younger. And sometimes, uh, well, it was always really helpful that if I had some place to go, I could just leave the house whenever I wanted, get in the car and go wherever I wanted to go. Didn't have to reserve anything, didn't have to call anybody, I could just do it. And then in those instances where there wasn't even a real destination, I just wanted to get out, it was therapy. I could get in my car, I could let the top down, turn on some music and just drive around. Uh, when I went blind, I didn't realize how much I had taken that particular piece for granted, right? Because now I'm catching public transportation at best, uh, having to depend on someone else. I would call them to come pick me up, and again, that puts you at the jeopardy of someone else's timetable and schedule. And it was just so frustrating. Things, things that most of us just take for don't granted. Need, right, we don't yeah. even think about. We can go where we want, when we want. I want that back. I, I want to be able to take that for granted again. I want to be able to get up and go when I want to go, want to go where I want to go, when I want to go there. And the Autonomous Vehicles presents me with that opportunity. So that's why I'm hungry for it. So when Elon Musk and, and others talk about full self-driving, even though, I mean, he's, he may be exaggerating now, but it's coming. Oh yeah, right? I believe so. And that's going to mean to you in, in your lifetime that you're going to be able to quote, drive again. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to change the whole dynamic. And I think that we're experiencing a lot of resistance now because people have been conditioned. I mean, myself, right? I just told you, my, my car wasn't just transportation to and from, it was therapy. So for people to have, engage in a paradigm shift that allows them to be open to, okay, let's change this whole dynamic now. Uh, the experience of me driving will be better because now I won't have to be so overly focused on the road. I can actually enjoy the journey toward wherever I'm going. I think that that will help and I think that people will embrace it more. Where are some of the places you want to go? Oh, everywhere. I, I, it, <laughs> I know it sounds kind of frivolous, but just picking places at random. I mean, I, I know in the beginning that's what it's going to be because that freedom and flexibility, you know, I'm, I'm going to really take advantage of it. And then, of course, it'll, it'll settle down to being more planned, right? Making sure that, okay, this weekend, it's gonna be a three-day weekend, let's uh, just take a vehicle on down to Savannah and hang out at the beach, you know? So yeah, that's what I wanna do. So this, to you, this is much more than a future of mobility as a service. Mm -hmm. 
you want some personal mobility back. Absolutely, because again, the whole key is I want to be able to live, work, and play. So it, it's comprehensive. So it's not even a matter of just making sure I can get up and go get my groceries or get up and go back and forth to work. I want to be able to go you know, to a game, uh, go to the park, uh, go visit family and friends without any hesitation. You know? So yeah. Remarkable. Well, that's what the promise of the technology is, and hopefully it's not far away. Amen, brother. <laughs> well, thank you for coming once again to the fifth annual Smart Driving Car Summit. My pleasure. And we wish you the best. Honey. Thank you. Thank you. Another participant and another important voice we heard from was that of Catherine Freund, founder and president of ITN America. Thanks for taking time with us, Catherine. My pleasure. Well, give us a, a little background, first of all, for people who aren't familiar with ITN America. You've been around for a while doing some great things. Thanks. Hidden in plain sight, as they say. Uh, so ITN America is the first and the only national nonprofit transportation network for older adults and for people with special needs. And when you say it's a network, describe for us what has been created here. Oh, good question. Uh, well, it's a technology platform uh, now on Salesforce and it's operational software. Uh, it's also a database called Rides in Sight of all transportation in the United States. Uh, it's an online learning center called the Community in the Cloud. Uh, and soon to have America's Volunteer Driver Center. So it, it's very, uh, it's everything a community needs to create transportation with their own resources, volunteers, existing vehicles, and it's accessible through web browser. And you're providing through the platform, you have a, a number, how many rides? Oh, altogether we've done about 1.4 million rides, uh, and we have 91 different communities in our national network. We do, we help with policy analysis, because policy, of course, guides the future. Uh, and it definitely uh, guides resources. Um, and we do social research as well. Well, you've done so much research into this. Tell us about the needs that exist out there for among older adults and how you're helping to solve these problems, meet the needs. Well, uh, we're trying hard. Um, there's how a, great is the need today? The need is enormous. Um, the population is aging, and you may have heard the statistic, but 10,000 boomers turning 70 a day for 18 years. So it's, it's just a huge swell of aging population. Uh, and people are automobile dependent. 90% of all trips are taken in the private automobile. 8% are walking. Only 2% are on alternative transportation of any kind. And uh, so there's a lot of older people, uh, and they depend on the automobile. And then most people don't know this, but we outlive our decision to stop driving by about 10 years. So I think the final statistic you want to know is that three out of four older people live in suburban and rural areas where there is no traditional mass transportation. So people live in areas where there are no alternatives to the automobile, 
they're dependent on the automobile, and then they survive their decision to stop driving by a decade. So they basically become stranded, and many people become socially isolated uh, or dependent on favors. Nobody wants to be dependent on favors, especially for something as fundamental as transportation. You know? Yeah, I used to compare it to, you know, if you had to ask someone a favor every time you made a telephone call, how many telephone calls do you think you'd make, right? Pretty soon you'd stop using the phone. It's the same thing with mobility. If you have to ask a favor because you have no choice, pretty soon you stop asking and you just stay home and you become isolated. So it's, it's a very serious problem, and a lot of people don't talk about it because you don't want to say, I can't drive anymore. You don't want to say, I'm worried, I can't get anywhere. You don't want to ask a favor. Nobody likes to ask favors. You know, uh, you know, asking favors is not a good transportation plan, right? So, so what we've done is we've created a way for people to help each other by uh, volunteering to drive. And you know, you can communities can also use paid drivers if they want to. We've created a technology platform for them to use. And we're a charity, we're a nonprofit, so we're we're in it for the we're in it to help people. We're not we're not trying to make a profit. We just have to make ends meet. Um, and we've we've had some very wonderful support from industry partners companies that understand what we're doing and that support us. Esri is um, that's a geographic information system company. They donated all the routing algorithms for the whole United States. Salesforce has been very, very kind to us. And uh, it's actually a pharmaceutical company, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, has given us money since 2013 to pay for free rides for eye health care all over the country. And so, if you're working with very often volunteers, yeah. and many of them are older adults as, as well. Right. Are they reimbursed for any expenses, or how does it work, or are they donating those costs? Well, um, so just to clarify, ITN America does not actually provide the rides. We provide the training and technology and support and so forth. So each community makes a decision on its own uh, to reimburse their volunteers, uh, and our software calculates all of that for them. Uh, and you have something most, that, like a, a, a bank that, yeah. that stores credits if you're involved as a volunteer? Yeah. Well, again, we use technology. We created something called a personal transportation account. And uh, the, the best way to think of it is, you know how your, your resources, your assets are in a portfolio? Like you own a little real estate and you have a savings account and Maybe you own a little stock or something like that. You have an IRA. That's your portfolio. We created a mobility portfolio in the software that we call a personal transportation account. And it can hold transportation assets in different forms as well. So uh, you can, of course, put cash in it. But a lot of older people have cars that they can't drive anymore. And so they can trade their car to get credit for it and put that in their personal transportation account and then debit that asset to, to pay for their rides. Or most of our volunteers are retired themselves. They're, they're what we call the young old that I'm just guessing might be you and I. 
they're in their 60s, uh, and, and they want to help other people. Uh, we will give them a credit for the miles that they drive uh, and put that credit in their personal transportation account so that when they are older, someone else can drive them, sort of pay it forward. Uh, so we call that transportation social security. Well, you are here at the summit, and you've been here before, listening to all of this talk about driverless vehicles, autonomous vehicles. How does that figure into what you're trying to accomplish? Well, I, I think autonomous vehicles uh, is the idea whose time has come. Uh, and, uh, well, I guess there are a lot of ideas whose time has come in technology now. But I think they, there's wonderful promise to help older adults and people with special needs. Uh, and I think that uh, volunteer transportation is going to become actually increasingly important uh, because there are many things that people need that an autonomous vehicle in and of itself cannot provide. For example, a, a lot of older people use mobility devices and they're not able or strong enough to fold up their rolling walker or they're not able to carry their groceries in and out of the vehicle. Uh, and so I think many people who now serve as volunteer drivers will become volunteer escorts or volunteer friends to go along with someone and help them with the things that they need. You know, the, in the autonomous vehicles, many of them, the doors will open and the doors will close and things like that. But I don't think there's going to be robot arms coming out and picking up groceries and putting them in the vehicles. So, um, and then also a lot of older people have some form of dementia and they need assistance. Uh, so I think there will be an increasingly important role for volunteers, which means an increasingly important role for nonprofit organizations, not necessarily the government. And you can't volunteer for a for-profit corporation, so it has to be a nonprofit. That's what the law is. So I think those I think there will be an increasing importance for that. In fact, bet my life on it. I I think it's coming. Well You've done some TV up in, up in Maine about gardening and, and plants, so I'm going to phrase it this way. How did the seed for what you're doing get planted? Why did, why did Catherine Freund get involved with this? Well, I don't know if you know the answer to this, actually. Uh, I have two children. Um, they're in their 30s, but when my son was a child, he was run over by an older driver. And um, I don't know if you know that. Uh, I did. Yeah, that's how I got involved. And, and, I, and he's okay. You know, he, he was hurt, but he's okay. Um, and he's, he's very happy and healthy now with his own children. But uh, I just thought um, that didn't need to happen. The driver was 84. He had dementia. And he said he thought he hit a dog. That's how out of it he was. And I just said, somebody has to fix this. I'll do it. And it's grown into a national organization, a national platform. It is. Uh, it is. And I think we're now positioned, I think, to really help a lot of communities and really help a lot of people. Because, you know, if you're trying to think big, which if you have a big problem, you have to. 
uh, you have to be able to financially, economically scale what you're doing. You know, it has to be affordable to people as well as meet their needs. You know, I mean, the answer to this is people need a ride, but if you have to pay for a vehicle and pay for a driver and someone to escort every older person who doesn't live on a bus line who needs a ride, it's not affordable. So we had to figure out what people needed and then we had to figure out a way to make it really affordable so that people would have the mobility that they need to live their lives in their homes, in their communities, with the neighbors they know, with the family they love, and and be able to stay there and be independent. Uh, and I think we've done it. I think you have. Congratulations, <laughs> Catherine. Where can people go for more information? Well, they can go to our website, which is... You have a new website. We have four websites now. The main website, and you can get to everything from the main website, is itnamerica.org. If you want to get to the new program, it's itncountry.org. If you want to get to the database with all the alternatives around the country, that's ridesinsight.org. Catherine Freund, thank you for being with us at the fifth annual Princeton Smart Driving Cars Summit. Thank you for having me. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this week. We want to thank uh, Anil Lewis and Catherine Freund once again. Alan, hope the recovery continues smoothly. <laughs> no, it, it'll, it'll be it'll be good. It'll be good. I'll be back. I'm see if I can make it back for the playoffs. You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we need you. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't need anyway. It'd be nice if they did, but yes, um, had to have it fixed. Thank you. Um, yes, and uh, things are moving. A uh, big uh, conference coming up in California. Transportation Research Board Summer uh, Automated Vehicle Meeting in um, uh, Los Angeles. Uh, we'll, I'll be out there um, uh, a week from Monday and uh, try to move this this technology along to um, get it deployed and and start delivering some uh, value uh, to society. Uh, so that's the main focus, main reason I'm going out there. So hope to see many of you out there and um, be nice to see people in person. Thank you to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. More info is available at MOTOETF.com. Technical support is provided by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high quality mobility for all. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, Amazon, wherever you get podcasts from. You can get your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching, and please stay safe. Thank you, everybody.